My name is Kim Rothwell, and this is The Return to Embodiment. Sometimes on the podcast, we enter into conversations that are taboo, have been historically silenced with regards to our embodiment. And we enter these conversations with curiosity and tenderness. We begin to connect to wonder and hope and even the potential for vitality, fullness, liberation, thriving. My conversation with Alicia Patterson was one of these conversations. Alicia is a dance movement therapist and a massage therapist with a pelvic floor specialty. She is passionate about women's health and education, particularly as it relates to the uterus, the womb, the vagina, the pelvic floor, the cervix, the muscles, sinews, tendons, nerves, and organs that exist within that realm of women's bodies. As a person whose expertise bridges these two realms of the massage world, the pelvic health world, and the dance movement therapy world, the clinical world, Alicia is equipped to bring trauma-informed care that can help recreate culture around how women's bodies are treated in a way that allows for full embodied consent around touch. I am so grateful to be offering this interview. May the conversation spark hope in those who have challenges in this area, which has been so long silenced and underserved. May this be a conversation that directly confronts cultures that demand disembodiment. I'm Kim Rothwell, and I'm welcoming you to the Return to Embodiment. Welcome. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. Thank you. Me too. Yeah. Uh, One of the ways that I like to begin is just establishing how we know one another. Mm -hmm. Melissa. Melissa's a very dear friend of mine, and we've worked together on and off for years, and she is a uh, somatic sex therapist, and she told me about you. Yes. When we did our interview, she said, I have someone that you need to talk to. So Mm -hmm. it's wonderful um, to make those connections. I actually saw the interview that you did with her. Mm. On your YouTube. On your YouTube, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that project? Yeah, I'm used to working on video quite a bit, and I have a presence on YouTube, so I figured I could do a, a little series of interviews you know, a season, like a smaller contained project using the video interview format. My inspiration was um, honestly what was going on for me at the time was I had some frustration about 
what I was seeing in the online marketplace around quote womb work and that it's become very popular and um, you know a lot of products that I don't think are great for the body being sold and a lot of people teaching about the power of the womb which I fully agree with and I feel like COVID and the rush toward needing to work online just really stimulated something that as a longtime practitioner, I was feeling very challenged by. So I wanted to just interview a very established, powerful, like ready to work with human beings, practitioners and professionals and shine them out on the internet because the web and the internet has so much to offer us. And I think that the shadows of the internet world have just spiked in the last couple of years. And that was my motivation was that I was feeling so frustrated about it that I just needed to put my energy towards something creative. That's so cool. Yeah. The, the utilizing the creative process to combat what we don't like in the world or to instate a different conversation narrative around mm-hmm. something that has been twisted or been misrepresented mm-hmm. of it. At that time, I was saying, uh, people have figured out that the womb makes money. And it does, you know, the womb and the root is associated with money and survival and these like root level food and shelter and water and I just think that it started to become very distorted. This place in our body has been capitalized on for so many centuries in so many different ways. And like, here's the modern version. So not to be a downer, but you know, that's, that's how that season came about was um, my desire to connect with women that I really believed in and had known for extensive time and trusted and felt like I wanted to do my own contribution of putting something out around womb work and womanhood that, um, but I do feel really strongly about trauma-informed care. And then if we don't have the training or the equipment to do trauma-informed work, then we should like hands off, you know? Yeah, well, I like, I don't think you need to apologize for the downer. I love going down and, you know, deep and light and we can go all places, right? Um, I am sitting here and I'm realizing listeners might not, I'm not, I'm not sitting, I'm standing, (laughs) standing desk and I love it. And so I have this little like surfboard thing that I can like also move on keep my Mm -hmm. my hips moving a little bit I feel like it might be helpful for listeners to understand why why it is so important to you to put something into the world that is holding the root and the womb Mm -hmm. in a way that is not just a money grab but a practice of healing. Mm -hmm. So could you share about what you call yourself in your work? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a great place to start. 
So I am a somatic psychotherapist, um, dance therapy. That's my official title. I graduated with a master's in psychology and somatic psychotherapy with focus in body psychotherapy and dance movement therapy. So I am a licensed professional counselor. I have a mental health practice. I do mental health work. I've stayed with that um, throughout my whole career and love it and feel that it's you know, good work to do and very important, especially right now, you know, we're having a mental health crisis in the United States. And I also call myself a holistic pelvic specialist. And I added pelvic floor therapy, which is internal, intervaginal, as well as working with the abdomen and the outer supportive connective tissues. Um, and a very heavily trauma-informed lens to my practice about five to six years ago. And that has really um, kind of exploded my work and my presence in my community. There are not a lot of pelvic floor therapists and there are not many, so I honestly feel a little isolated around it, who are also psychotherapists. So usually people that come toward me are the ones who um, want to avoid the medical world and they're seeking a kind of different pace of healing. And they know that I'm a therapist and it's not psychotherapy. My bodywork practice, I officially work under massage credentials and it's very psychologically and emotionally permissive and inclusive which I love. We can't cut out our psychology if we go into get pelvic health treatment. It's our nervous system and our pelvis is so intertwined with our nervous system. So um, I have a bodywork practice, this women's health practice, and I have a counseling practice and I keep those very separate just to protect myself and, you know, insurance and um, all that stuff, you know, just making sure that my credentials and my liability insurance is protected. Understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you are existing kind of on um, cusps of fields. Um, totally. Yeah. The bodywork field, healing, touch work, and psychology, those fields have always had major pretty rigid boundaries between them and, you know, very, um, a lot of taboo and, in, you know, in some ways, rightfully so, like there are definitely some lines that have been crossed and some messy things in human history. So I understand why that exists and where that comes from. And in the somatic world, the pioneers of somatic psychology were some of the first people in the psychology field, at least the modern psychology wave that said, we need to be able to do this healing work and like just sitting and talking isn't enough and it's not really doing anything. So I'm a major advocate for very safe, very communicative, super consensual, a lot of prep work, a lot of like making sure that this is a really safe environment so that a healing psychology experience can incorporate touch work and touch work can incorporate our experience of our mind and our brain, which is um, very edgy, definitely. 
So when I was in school, I remember um, having conversations at the places where I worked where touch was actually not allowed at all mm -hmm. in, the, in some of the settings where I worked mm -hmm. in such an uncomfortable way, even in working with children, you cannot touch in any way, even if it's a young child who's seeking comfort, mm -hmm. you, you would have to, you could, you could touch like pat a shoulder, right? But there was never in closing of the child in an embrace. And that was part of why um, we used props right. to simulate that experience of actually being held in an environment where ethically we were required to not touch. And a similar thing happened when I worked with the older adults, this feeling of these people are touch starved. That's part of the issue that I'm seeing. And so I want to find ways for them to experience that holding. Mm -hmm. um, so touch in and of itself in the field of psychology is taboo. And mm -hmm. you're talking about, it's like, no, let's double down on this. This yeah. is touch that involves the pelvic floor, mm -hmm. the vagina, the mm -hmm. abdomen. Like for some people, the abdomen is just as uh, intimate <laughs> a place for someone to touch. So, so tell me about what prompted you to say, I'm going to bring in touch and I'm going to bring in touch in this area that mm -hmm. has unfortunately significant trauma history in our, in our culture, right? How do you see the um, difference between the medical model and your approach? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, for the history and the, you know, the context and the backstory, I think is important, um, which I'm very transparent about. I share about this with clients. If they're like, why do you do this? Like, why you know, well, how did this come about? And I think it's really normalizing and helpful. So um, my personal story is that's one of my biggest influences here. And, you know, I have my own stuff. I've had sexual trauma. I've had really challenging menstrual stuff. I've had a medical incident that left me with some internal scar tissue at a pretty young age that I had zero education about, like what that meant for the longevity of my body until I started really looking into all of this. So um, my journey into somatic psychology and dance therapy, I always say that my pelvic journey with myself was like a parallel road to my training and my experience with somatic psychology, my awakening of my own womb, my feeling about my root. I was devouring everything I could about sexuality and the divine feminine and just really trying to do my own work around being a woman in this world, in this country. And, um, I ended up, it's so funny. I tell this story My my first pelvic healing experience was an abdominal massage. And I went into it with like, well, I have really bad cramps and maybe this will help. And then it was so 
emotional and tender and just kind of really smacked me in my face how powerful it was. I wasn't really expecting that. And it just kind of bookmarked something for me and like started me pulling this thread. And I started going in this direction of really looking at what was going on in my body. And I had done years of talk therapy and felt like I had really addressed things in my mind and my heart. And then my body had uh, residue and an experience that also needed to be addressed. Residue is a good word, right? Yes. And residue is real in our physiology. Our body does keep the score. Everybody knows about that book these days. So um, it really has this like energetic tissue level, even if we've fully resolved something inside of parts of ourselves, I really feel that our body can hold a memory or an experience of like an association and symptoms and all this stuff. Like you said, scar tissue exists like that. My son got an injury to his knee this summer Mm -hmm. and it was large enough. So he's going to have a scar Mm -hmm. for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. Residue of an experience. It doesn't mean that he's damaged forever. Right. There's residue or signs of Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I remember talking with my long-term dance therapist at the time who I love, you know, she was so influential and really impactful for me. And she asked me, are you going to do internal work? And I was like, no, how dare you? I had my own shame through the roof and I didn't even know what she was talking about. I didn't know that internal work was a thing. I didn't really know that it was possible. I didn't know that it was a whole modality and, and it's part of the healthcare system. And uh, it's kind of funny, you know, that reaction that I had is just like stereotypical old Alicia, like all these um, boundaries and protections that underneath that was just a lot of not knowing and my own shame about this part of my body and that I associated that as being bad and wrong and like something that, you know, one would never do outside of a relationship, for example. And now here I am as a practitioner educating people. So I feel like there's just such a huge gap around this. And I ended up eventually hearing about a woman in my community who I knew through dance. So you know, I felt really safe about her and I know her and I found out that she does this more slow, consensual, very holistic massage oriented and trained by the same PT physical therapist that I went and did my training with. And I started seeing her for my own internal work and it totally changed me in such a profound way. And I did that work intensively for a couple of years within the first maybe like three months, I was like, I'm going to add this to my work. I just felt so strongly about it. So I ended up going back to get more training in massage and body work. And I went and did a training with a physical therapist who is a long time pelvic health, um, you know, worked in the medical system for a long time and was one of the first PTs who said, this is emotional. Like we've got to slow down and address the emotional and the energetic. And she's incredible. She's pretty well known in the public health field, Tammy Kent. So I feel really great that I went and got a a little more of an anatomical 
medical influenced lens around pelvic health. And there's been so many learning curves about how to add this to my work and how to present myself and how to like really set this up so that people have such a safe and um, contained experience. And the reason I'm so busy is because I'm one of the only ones who has this combination of trainings and lenses. And I feel like I just kind of stumbled into it before I really understood what it meant and the power of it and the way that it can impact people. And now at this point, I've worked with elders. I worked with a 21 year old who had not had any intimate experience with another person. Like the, she had a lot of health challenges and it's pretty incredible. You know, this was her first experience of being touched in this part of her body in such a loving way. And I worked with birthing bodies and bodies who had never given birth and people that have this scar tissue and people that have like no health challenges, but they're just curious about this part of their body we need that trust before we allow ourselves to be so vulnerable. Um, it's been very humbling for me. Did that answer your question? So much came up in your, the answer that you just gave. You had followed your curiosity in terms of your own sexuality and womanhood and mm -hmm. accessing your body and done a tremendous amount of research. And then you had um, a massage, an abdominal massage. Mm -hmm. I had an abdominal massage as well. It mm -hmm. was so powerful mm -hmm. and it did feel incredibly loving and nourishing. I go to this Korean spa and I get a scrub. Yeah. Afterwards, I wrote a poem about it. Mm -hmm. I was like, no one has ever washed me so well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know that I've been to those spas and yeah, and they address the whole body, which I think is really incredible. It is. There isn't like a highlighting necessarily of taboo parts. And that was part of what was very curious. And my nervous system gets awakened in that heightened. Right. There isn't like a trauma, trauma informed conversation before those at all, but it's just very matter of fact. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're scrubbing this part. We're scrubbing that part, all the parts. <laughs> um, but yeah, I experience um, gratitude, I think also in touch. This comes up a lot, whether it's like I'm in a yoga practice and someone comes and gives me an adjustment or the Korean spa or this experience of this abdominal massage where um, I'd actually never had someone massage my organs before. And so part of what this conversation feels like it's introducing your mission to bring more education and awareness mm -hmm. that sometimes the education and the awareness, there's limits to what can be taught from a book. Yes. And there, and there's limits to what can be um, learned just cognitively. There's something that needs to be experienced. Mm -hmm. um, and touch can be such a profound teacher of coming to recognize our own parts 
the parts that have been untouched, unknown. What I'm hearing you say is like that, the honor of that, the honor of being the person who helps introduce people to their own bodies Mm -hmm. in a way that's respectful and safe. Yes. Yeah, I do feel that it is a huge honor and something that I take very seriously. And it's, it's so humbling, you know, to feel what's really happening. There's no skin barrier. I always use gloves. It's a huge thing that I'm like, I always talk about because there are people out there that do not use gloves. And I'm like, do not see that person. I don't agree with that, at least professionally. Um, But without the skin barrier, all that the barrier is, is the glove. And otherwise I'm feeling what this person's fascia is doing. I'm having a nerve come toward my finger and, you know, nerves are electricity. They conduct messages. They hold stories. I could like cry my eyes out about it right now. It's so powerful. And it is really, really important that someone's really ready for that and that they understand what that means for them. And, you know, I feel like even after all these years, I'd done all this work on myself. I had had lots of other types of body work. I had been in dance therapy environments for years this work still kind of blew my top off. It was very dysregulating for me at times. It really kind of caused me to have an awakening. I feel like our neurological activity in our brain is so sensitive to what our nervous system is doing. So I always say like, you know, careful what you ask for and make sure that you work with somebody who's really equipped to, especially if it's this like softer, slower, way and you did ask about the medical way yeah I wanted to come back to that absolutely yeah I think it's very important to acknowledge that at least in the United States we live in a culture that has a lot of threads and flavors of rape culture just embedded into it you know how often do people show up to a sexual experience or a medical experience and it's like yeah you know do this thing to me and i'm just gonna dissociate or try to medicate myself and hope that i can get through it or whatever it is so those patterns are very much just present in the field and you know i've had those experiences most people i work with have had some type of that experience for themselves just because of the society that we live in So I do, um, and the older I get and the more I do this work, I just keep stretching it all out and having more conversations with people, uh, requiring more prep work. I require a good amount of education and exercises that people do with themselves before we engage in body work at this point. You know, I'm not like a sure, come get a massage and like see a never again practitioner. That's just not how I work. And I don't want to work that way. I really think that that's possibly unsafe for clients and for myself. So I feel like I do everything possible in my power to have these very upfront conversations or like I have a list of bullets that I'm like, we talk about this we talk about consent, we talk about pleasure, we talk about trauma history, we talk about 
um, the what the actual protocol is. Like, what am I actually going to be doing? I explained to people, I'm going to be working with your belly. I'll warm up your legs and work on your feet. I'll do some passive range of motion with your legs so that your connective tissues start to release. And once we get to the internal process, if you want that, just being in the room is enough for some people. With some people, we never get to doing internal work because their body's saying no to it. But working through that process and allowing them to use their voice can be so huge for some people. That's amazing. So you slow down this process so much and you actually empower the connection between Mm -hmm. the person's mind and their nervous system, their body, so that Mm -hmm. they're tracking a no versus a yes with you. Yes. So you're, you're actually training embodied consent. Yes, very much so. And, and we have a lot of conversations about that in an ongoing way. And I always tell people up front, which is very important. And it's honestly, it can be challenging uh, because I have had people come into the office and, you know, first session where we can do internal work, we've done all my prep stuff. And they're like, well, I'm ready to work with scar tissue on my cervix. And the cervix is all the way to the back of that connective tissue. It's an organ. It's very vulnerable. And so I'm like, okay, well, um, we can hold that possibility. And if your body starts saying no or pushing me away, I do not progress further. And And me listening to that and sensing for that. And if there's a lot of heat that's coming up and the nerves start feeling panicky, for me to continue moving forward is where I feel like that violation happens. And we can enact those violations without intending to and without meaning to and thinking that we're doing good. So um, it is such a delicate, very nuanced process. Earlier, you said like when you're doing an internal um, massage, there's moments where as you touch, you're actually feeling nerves, you're feeling the electricity, you're feeling fascia. Mm -hmm. And what you just described was essentially feeling a nervous system response in the tissues that says no, Mm -hmm. That that you're experiencing, that you're saying, this is your body pushing me out. It's actually not wanting it. So you're cued into listening so deeply Mm -hmm. that you might actually hear something from the body that the person's brain doesn't have, isn't aware of. Yes. Yeah. I do feel that my work is so slow, you know, like I'll have one nerve And nerves feel like they're like little snakes and sometimes they're pretty small and sometimes they're bigger and like powerful. Um, Sometimes it just feels more like the sheet of the nerve endings that's like covering so much surface area. And, And we know that, you know, research shows us and anatomy textbooks show us that there's so many different functions of nerves and there's peripheral nerves and there's much deeper nerves, but I will feel them they're talking to me and I'm listening and I'm saying, how are you doing? And 
I, I try to stay very, very descriptive. I'll say, do you want to know what I'm sensing? Do you want to know what I'm feeling right against my hand? Instead of saying, oh, your body's saying this, you know, I, I really try to stay away from that evaluation um, just because that can get a little tricky. Leading mm -hmm. up to all of this, you know, it's, it's very important that I ask people, like, how did you know that you felt a yes to moving forward? And how did you know that you needed more time with this thing? And like when people say, you know, kind of like a rote response of like, yeah, I'm ready. I always I'm like, let's pause with that for a moment. Like, take a breath, like really feel down into yourself. Let your body feel that there's no agenda and there's no expectations. And you don't have to take care of me. Like, I'm not your partner. I'm not a doctor who's like, I need to, you know, rush you out and see the next person in 10 minutes. And what do you really need here? And the relief that will happen for people, you know, there's so many tears and um, so many of us have never had an experience like this. And it can be very like gratitude producing of, wow, I, I can't believe I have this experience right now. Some people go through their whole lives never having this experience. And so much disappointment about like, why have I not encountered this ever? And like, I'm this many years old and now I'm just encountering someone who's really listening to my body and allowing just whatever is needed in this moment without this, like, we need to move on now. And we need to, because that is so activating to our nervous system, especially the inside. We have these alarm bells that are like, do not progress, you know, if we're like moving in that agenda way. And most of us are conditioned to that agenda way. So it can be a very big experience to have something different than that. So most women who would go in for a pelvic exam mm -hmm. would be very familiar with the fact that they have to be asked to sit right. down. Because they're not softening into scooting down. They're like, their body is pushing away from the stirrups, away from the experience. And right. most of us just are like, okay, well, this is what I have to do. And it would feel, it might feel strange to me if my doctor went through the process that you're going through. Totally. It's a different environment and a different intention. Absolutely. So you're clarifying a an intention that was inspired by Tammy Kent saying, this truly is energetic and emotional and mm -hmm. that you're tending to the uh, structures, mm -hmm. but it isn't about structural manipulation. Correct. Attention mm -hmm. that transforms energies mm -hmm. in that region. <clears throat> yeah, I always say, I love structural work. I think it's really grounding. It's super helpful. Now I have these little diagrams of like, here's where all the muscles are. Here's the name of them. Like here's the muscles we work with. It's very helpful and normalizing for people to realize like, oh, I have all of these really powerful structures in this part of my body. And here is a way that I can address each of those structures. And that can lead to more ease, just energetically feeling grounded. It can lead to ease and digestion. It can help the menstrual cycle pain, like start to shift. 
It can lead to um, more receptivity and less pain if people have pain with intercourse. There's tons of benefits that really can come from structural work. And I don't only work with structure and physical therapists usually are working mostly with structural manipulation. My interest mostly is the nervous system and the endocrine system. So I love working with like organ energy. Organs are like little animals. They're like so sensitive. They're so amazing to work with. They have a very different energy than working with a muscle. And so many people come into my office with bladder challenges, like real kind of debilitating long-term, like, well, you know, I thought this is just my life after having a kid, like, I'm just going to pee anytime I run. And I'm like, well, actually, no, you know, there's so many things that can be addressed around that. So I like to hold the medical lens in mind and I'm not a doctor and I'm not a PT. And so, you know, I, I try to be really, um, and a lot of people think I'm a PT and I'm like, I'm not a PT. I trained with a PT and it was amazing. So, you know, I have a very unique path of how I've pieced all of this together. Yes. You're situated in this very differently than a lot of other people. And I'm so glad, um, that you're bringing up some of the applications the work because or like the direct applications because when I when I mentioned to a friend that I was talking with you and interested in doing a podcast with you um her response was uh thank god somebody's talking about this stuff because we all need more transparency more ease around these conversations because historically they've been sources of shame. Like if a woman has bladder issues post-birth, which is a lot of women, yes. the, the sort of pat answer is do your Kegels. Right. Whereas in other countries, physical therapy post-birth is something that all women get. Yes. It's exactly. understood that part of what we're doing challenges the body and supporting the healing process with internal massage or whatever, whatever is standard for care instead of just kind of forcing women to say, Oh, I guess this is my life. Now, a lot of women wouldn't know that there's an option. Yes. Yeah. I always say that the United States is um, very immature around these topics you know, the way that we handle this part of the body, there are some cultures that are, you know, definitely enacting, I don't want to say less evolved, but like more harm for this part of the body. And there are cultures that are way more mature and evolved than we are. And I feel like because I'm in the United States, I try to just talk about the United States and that we we have to, for example, we have to have such intense symptoms and basically um, some people in certain parts of this country have to like beg for a referral for physical therapy after giving birth. And in other places in the world, it is included. It's just, you get automatically, like you don't have to ask for it. You don't have to have a referral. 
I get so many inquiries from people in parts of this country where they're like, I have no practitioner within driving distance of me. What am I supposed to do about this? And it's very painful. You know, it's, these are baseline bodily functions. And because of the way our country is set up, there's a real um, lack of care around it. And it's sad. I got into psychology pretty young. I started graduate school when I was 26. And then I added this work when I was 31-ish. And there's been an incredible amount of complexity that's come towards me. And just people like, I don't know what else to do and I'm in need. And, you know, like, I don't think I was ready for that, honestly. And now that I look back and it's been six years, I'm like, woo, okay, you know, and, and that's what's caused me to make so many changes to how I'm working. And I charge high fees. It's a lot of energy for me. I give a lot of time to people. I like really try to help people orient toward the medical system. And like, I'm not saying that we should never, <clears throat> ever enter a doctor's office again. I'm saying let's be empowered and know how to ask questions and how to advocate for ourselves in the face of what truly I believe is a medical machine. And the medical system is incredible in so many ways and what it has offered in advancements. However, around female public health, I really feel like it is failing female bodied people. Like the instances of hysterectomies in the United States and the United Kingdom are the highest in the world. It's like, well, just take it out, cut it out. It's like, okay, well, that leads to also a lot of very long-term challenging symptoms for people that have those surgeries. And there's such a lack of education about that. So it's kind of dire. <laughs> like, I honestly feel like the situation is bleak and I've been through so many of my own challenges with my body and I'm in such a good place, but it was a decade of me like repairing all of that. And I could have used that energy for something else. People are in a lot of pain around this. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that and just understand that. And usually once we acknowledge that and validate, then things start to move. And if we come in and we're like, well, we're just going to kind of skip this pain, then nothing gets better. And that's what I've seen in symptom management for so long. It's very tender. It's very emotional process. And that is something that is hard for people to come to terms with sometimes. Yeah, this is making me aware of how your somatic psychology and dance therapy training undergird or provide a scaffolding for your approach. Yeah. That's what we know about holding space for clients as dance therapists is that compassionate attention and holding an environment such that movement can unfold mm -hmm. leads to change. It doesn't it doesn't force change. I mean, a force change, the, the uterus is an issue, so we're going to remove it, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't do that if, if that's something that they need, but the, the approach that says what changes can happen through a process of bodyful 
mindful, tender, generous, spacious, restful attention Mm -hmm. is empowering an entirely different way of being in the world. Absolutely. It's so organic. It's nature. You know, it's this like natural, the, the pulse of life, you know, the pulse of organic, natural life is not the pulse of a machine. That is not how the human body thrives. I have a history of competitive athleticism. I have pushed myself. Like I'm not talking about just like not challenging ourselves. I'm talking about the way that our body really responds to rest and recovery and nourishment. I've seen people that have had such a wild transformation through this part of their body and their symptoms resolving in ways that I have a hard time explaining. Like, I'm like, I give this loving touch. I educate people about their bodies. I try to just advocate for, well, your, your mind is telling you this and you know, chronic pelvic pain books, they talk about the stories that we tell ourselves make our pain worse and all of this type of like mindfulness-based research approach. And it is so incredible that like, for example, mucus lining around the bladder can recover itself. Nerve signaling from the brain to the bladder about I have to go pee. It's a stress response. It's I have incontinence. I don't know what to do about it can start to heal once the nervous system slows down and our stress chemicals aren't pumping and dumping and stressing our kidneys and our bladder when we have just constant fight flight and trauma responses happening. Urgency, right? Yes. Yes. Like urgency to pee, but also urgency is kind of the water we swim in. Maybe we should transition to just asking the how is embodiment to you question. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to, um, you know, I really lean back on my dance therapy education around this. And I really feel that the pelvic health exploration is so connected to this part that I'm going to talk about. Embodiment for me is the ability inside of myself and with how I'm relating to my environment to like fully track and feel and move in a way that is harmonious for my system. And so that like internal ability to identify what do I feel and where do I feel it and what's happening with that part of me, like that's the pelvic health conversation. And like, and when I started this pelvic health journey, I had no orientation, like some, this woman I was working with, she'd say, well, I'm, I'm touching um, this muscle on the right side. And I was like, I thought you were on the left, you know, like this, like ability to track ourselves inside and in orientating orient orientation to space, how we move in space and how we move with ourselves on the inside. That's my favorite part of the somatic psychology education that I've gotten. And I really feel that it relates so heavily to this experience of our organ placement and how our nerves are flowing and what our muscle tissues are doing. So embodiment for me is connection and awareness and permission and 
validation for what my system is experiencing and that like nervous system trackers that are externally oriented they're important but if they're like on such high alert then my internal world usually changes and i have like less connection with myself if those trackers are totally like regulated i have more connection with myself and this like deep internal pulse you know like the magic the creativity the the like pleasure sensations are like tingling and warmth and that's the nervous system doing something incredible and that's what leads to ecstasy and that ability to surrender to that has been my greatest teaching from embodiment work and i came from a life of rigidity a lot of tension I remember my first somatic teacher doing this, you know, lay on the floor and surrender, yield. He's shaking my leg. He's like, just surrender. And I was just bawling my eyes out because I did not know what surrender meant and I couldn't surrender. And now at this point in my life, I have so much surrender in my body. And I, you know, so that's just a little nugget into my embodiment journey and my sense of what this work can do. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you to everyone for listening and thank you for sharing this out there. I could talk about this for hours. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. You're welcome. Thank you to Alicia for a conversation that was both challenging and hopeful. I am so grateful for the work you're doing. Thank you to Josie Rothwell for the opening credits and Erin Kate Dunnick for the closing credits. Thank you to the Embodied Education Institute of Chicago for sponsoring this podcast. And thank you to my listeners and my patrons for joining me in the return to embodiment.